Welcome to another episode. I'm Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you're watching Lawyer Up. In this video, we are starting a multi-video series on family law. Today, in this particular video, we're going to be talking about marriage. What are the requirements to get married? And how do your rights and obligations change the second that you say, I do? From there, we're gonna move on to divorce. And we're gonna have a video on the separation of assets and debts. And then a separate third video that's gonna deal with child support, custody, and visitation issues. Remember, if you learned something during these videos, hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you want to know more information about other legal topics. Finally, if you've got a comment or something to say, put it in the comments below. And remember, I am a lawyer, but I am not your lawyer. If you need legal advice specific to your situation, you need to lawyer up with an attorney in your area. Now, when we talk about the topic of marriage, you have to realize that the laws are different in every state. So you want to make sure to pay particular attention to the law of your state. But we're going to hit the highlights of the law that's generally applicable in most of the jurisdictions. Now, the requirements to get married are two. Number one, you need to get a license, a marriage license. Number two, you have to go through what's called solemnization. It's kind of a tricky word. It just basically means a ceremony. So let's talk about the license issue first. You need to go to the county clerk in whatever county you're in that's in charge of issuing marriage licenses. And there are certain qualifications or things that you need in order to get a marriage license. Now, when you go, you'll want to take your ID. That's important. And bring a little bit of money because these things aren't free. So the clerk's going to make you and both your spouse or fiance raise your right hand and swear to a few items. The first of which, which can be verified by your ID, is your age. If you are 18 or older, you can do whatever you want. You're an adult and you can get married if that's what you choose to do. Between 15 and 17, you're going to need your parents' permission to get married. And if it's 14 or below, you need a court order and a judge's permission to get married. And as I tell people, 14 or below, that's the statutory rape land. And so uh, I can't recommend going before a judge and asking permission to marry a 14-year-old. From there, you have to have sufficient mental capacity to enter into a marriage. And it's a very low threshold. You just basically have to understand what the concept of marriage is. And then you have the sufficient mental capacity to marry. You have to raise your right hand and swear that uh, you're not related because incest is illegal in all 50 states. You also have to swear that you are not currently married because bigamy is illegal in all 50 states. Now, notice I said bigamy and not polygamy because there's a difference. Now, bigamy is when you are married to two different people at the same time uh, and they don't know about each other. And you've heard about scenarios where one person leads uh, a life with one family on one side of the United States and then flies across country and has an entirely different life with a different wife and a different family, uh, say on the East Coast. Now that's more of the thing of movies. What generally happens in real life is that uh, somebody has uh, been married years and years ago, uh, left their partner, say in California, and they moved to Missouri and they're like, well, I haven't seen him in 20 years. I assume we're just divorced uh, because we haven't seen each other in so long. Well, you're not. 
And if you get married a second time, that's bigamy, or that creates a scenario where your second marriage is void and doesn't count. Now, polygamy, that's a little different. That's where you have multiple spouses, but they all know about each other. In fact, a lot of times they live together and they participate in the wedding. So it's a little bit different concept than bigamy. And the interesting thing about polygamy is that it's illegal in most countries all around the world, except for in Northern Africa, in the Middle East, in India, if uh, you're Muslim, and in Utah, maybe. Utah can't seem to make up their mind whether the sister wives thing and polygamy is legal there. Right now, as I sit here, it is technically illegal in Utah. However, in February, a legislator uh, introduced a bill to decriminalize polygamy. So there are a few places in the world, uh, none in the Western Hemisphere, except for maybe Utah, where you can engage in a plural marriage. After you swear to those things, the clerk will issue you a marriage license. And in half of the states, there is a waiting period. Now, it's not a long time. In a lot of states, it's three days. The longest waiting period is Wisconsin, which is six days. You have to wait that period of time until you can actually enter into the ceremony to finalize the marriage. There's also a cap of time. These marriage licenses aren't good indefinitely. Uh, some states are as short as Oklahoma, which is in 10 days from the issuance of the license, you have to get married. Most states, it's 30 days, and in some states, it's up to 60 or 90 days. So that's the license component. Now let's talk about the solemnization of the marriage. Now that word, uh, solemnization, is a kind of a funny word. Now it's not sodomization. That's a completely different word. Sodomy is a different ceremony that the last time I checked did not require a license. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about solemnization, which essentially is just a ceremony or a wedding. It's where a third party ratifies that you actually do want to get married. It's this party that fills out the marriage certificate and sends it into the state. Now, any member of any clergy that is in good standing, and that can be an active pastor or preacher or a retired one, can marry you. And your ceremony can be a great big production uh, and a big wedding uh, like we see on TV, or it can be as simple as going down to the courthouse and getting married in front of a judge, because any judge also has the ability to uh, marry you. And some people ask, why is there a two-step process to get married? Well, I think the legislature, when they enacted the laws, wanted people to think about and pause for a moment before they got married to make sure that was something that they wanted to do. And they didn't pull a Ross and Rachel uh, from friends when they got drunk in Vegas and then got married later that night. In my practice, I've only had one couple ever come in and ask for legal advice about getting married. But it was an interesting scenario. It was an older woman and an older gentleman and they were living together and they mentioned that they were going to church and to Sunday school and their religious beliefs were that they should get married. They said they were getting a little bit of pressure from the pastor and from other members of their Sunday school to actually marry. Now, the lady was a widow and she was the beneficiary of a retirement account that was in her late husband's name. And the particulars of this pension were that it would be discontinued or ended if she got remarried. So they sat in my office and they said, well, we want to get married, but we don't want to get married. 
So at the time I said, well, let me sleep on it for 24 hours, come back tomorrow, same time, same place, and I'll have a solution for you. And when they left the office, I did not have a solution for them. But I did a little research and I did sleep on it. And when they came back in, I said, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna send out your invitations. You're gonna have a big church wedding. Your pastor is gonna marry you. You're just not gonna go and get the marriage license. And so that's exactly what they did. They had the wedding. And so in the eyes of God, they were married. In the eyes of their church, in the Sunday school class participants, they were married because they went through the marriage ceremony. However, in the eyes of the law, because they never picked up their license, they were not married. And she could continue to receive uh, the benefits of her late husband's pension because she wasn't legally married. Now that brings me to common law marriages. These are totally different. You don't have to have a license and you don't have to go through a ceremony. In fact, if you're shacking up with somebody for X number of years, it varies from state to state, and you hold yourself out as married, then you are married in the 10 states that recognize common law marriages. And I'm just gonna read those to you now so you know which states. Common law marriages exist in Alabama, Colorado, Iowa, Kansas, Montana, New Hampshire, Oklahoma, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Texas, Utah, and Washington, D.C. So if you're shacking up with somebody in one of those locations, watch out. You may have to get a divorce even though you never got married. Now the first thing that a lot of women do right after getting married is they change their last name. You're not required to do this, but you certainly can do this. Once the marriage license is returned to the uh, bride, she can take that down to the driver's license bureau and get a new driver's license in her new name. She'll also want to get a new social security card. And with those two cards, you can make almost all the other changes that you need, say to a passport, to your credit cards, on utility bills, on bank accounts, or whatever else you might need to change your name into the name of your new husband. Now, legally, there are certain things that happen the second that you say, I do. The rights and duties and obligations that you have as a married person uh, changes as soon as that license is registered with the state. How you hold and transfer assets has suddenly changed. Your responsibility for your debts and debts of your spouse has suddenly changed. And you now have a duty to support the person who you married. And there are advantages under the law to being married. Uh, for example, there is a unique way married couples can hold a property called tenancy by the entireties. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but that is a beneficial way that married couples and only married couples can hold property. You can also file a joint tax return. Now this could be an advantage. It usually is if you have a single income uh, marriage, it usually is a tax penalty if they're both earning wages in the marriage. You become eligible for uh, health care benefits through your spouse that you weren't eligible for when you were just dating. And you now have an automatic legal right to inherit at least in part from your spouse, which means the flip side of that is that you can't disinherit entirely a spouse that you're married to. But more on that a little later. The main obligation that you incur when you get married is that you have a duty to support your spouse. Now, we're all familiar with the duty to support your children, which is manifested when you get a divorce through child support. That's what that is. But while you're married, you also have a duty to support your spouse. So you can't leave them destitute. You have to provide for the food, clothing, and shelter 
of your spouse. Now this takes on particular significance later on in the video when we talk about responsibility for your spouse's medical bills. But before we get there, let's talk about assets and how a married couple can hold assets. The concept is called a tenancy by the entireties. Tenancy meaning ownership and entirety meaning the entire amount. And the easiest way to think about this is when you get married, two individuals fuse into one legal entity. You're an inseparable single entity under the law and it allows you some benefit uh, in the way that you hold title. The benefit of holding title in a tenancy by the entirety is that the individual creditors of any one spouse can't attack that particular asset. And what I mean by that is if my wife and I own our house and both of our names are on the title as tenants by the entireties, then any individual creditor of say her, say she has a credit card debt she took out in her name only, that creditor can't attach or garnish or execute against any asset that is titled in either of our names. So that's a benefit to being married. And this is different than just two regular people owning a piece of property. If you and I own a piece of real estate, we're joint tenants. We're not married, so we don't get the benefit of the tenancy by the entirety. If an individual creditor comes in of yours, they can actually attach to the asset that you and I jointly own, break your portion apart, and then execute against it or take it from you. That doesn't happen with tenancies by the entirety because each individual owns the entirety of the property. Or as we mentioned before, your one unit together. Now there's one major exception to this and we'll get to that when we talk about medical bills in just a minute. First, let's talk about debts. And I get this question quite a bit. Uh, and it is, if I get married, am I responsible for my spouse's prior debts? And the answer is you're not. You were not married to them at the time they incurred the debt. You didn't sign up to be responsible for the debt. So you're not automatically responsible just because you get married for the debts of your fiance or then to be spouse. And that concept actually continues after the marriage. If your wife goes out and takes out a credit card in just her name and you don't sign on it, then you individually are not responsible for that particular debt. And the creditor of the spouse uh, can't go back against any property that is owned by the tenancy by the entirety or by the married couple itself. Now this sounds like a way to protect assets from creditors, but creditors do have the ability to go after any asset that's in the individual spouse's name and they can always garnish wages. Those are never uh, earned in a tenancy by the entirety's capacity. So even though you can say, well, our joint assets are safe for that individual creditor. They have ways to go about uh, garnishing wages and garnishing any assets in the individual spouse's uh, name to collect on the debt. This concept is why most significant debts and most mortgages uh, or loans to buy a piece of real estate, they require both spouses to sign. Sometimes you'll say, well, I just want this to be in my husband's name. And they might do that on the title. But when it comes down to the promissory note and who signs on the dotted line for the loan, they want the husband and the wife both to sign. Because if you're both signed and responsible for the debt, 
then they can go after you and they have access to garnish or execute against any assets uh, that are titled in both your names. Now let's finally get to that big exception that I've been talking about. And that is under the heading of the duty to support your spouse. You have the duty to support your spouse in the basic necessities of life. And in many states, there is something called the doctrine of necessities, which defines medical care as one of those necessities. So a hospital has the ability to go after the spouse of an individual who incurred medical bills at their facility. And let me give you an example of how this plays out. Let's just say you're married and your spouse uh, gets into a car accident and is taken to the hospital. And they uh, perform a bunch of uh, services and medical necessities uh, on that individual and, and save their life. Um, and then you get a big bill in the mail. And you say, well, wait a minute. Now, I, I wasn't involved in this and I didn't uh, sign on the dotted line. I didn't agree to any of these things. Why should I be responsible for the debt? Well, under the duty to support and the doctrine of necessities, the hospital can go after both the individual upon whom services were performed and their spouse because of that duty to support. So that is something to think about if you are getting married to an individual who has a lot of medical bills or medical issues. You're not gonna be responsible for any of the medical bills prior to getting married, but you may be and probably will be if the state that you're in adheres to the doctrine of necessities uh, and the hospitals are able to go after both spouses for the medical bills incurred by any one individual spouse. Now, the last thing I wanna touch on is an annulment. Now, an annulment is different than a divorce. A divorce is the separation of that single uh, legal entity after it's created. Uh, and when in doing so, you will learn that they try to divide the assets equally or equitably uh, between the parties. In an annulment, the marriage is just declared void. It never happened and they don't try to distribute assets equitably. They put you back in the position you were before the marriage. And generally in an annulment context, there has to be some form of fraud. Uh, back in law school, the case that illustrates this point is one where a couple got together and they waited until their wedding night to uh, engage in sexual activities. And after they got married and they got to wherever they were going, uh, they disrobed and the guy found out that the woman that he just married uh, had the wrong plumbing down there. Uh, so uh, he uh, filed for an annulment and said, hey court, um, she misrepresented herself as a she, she's actually a he and I want an annulment. And the court agreed with him. Uh, that's a, a fraudulent uh, non-disclosure that goes to the heart of the marriage and those are the kind of things uh, that a court would be looking for in granting an annulment. In my practice, I've only had one annulment and it was a lady that came in. She had married a man and lived with him for a few weeks when a probation officer came and knocked on her door and was asking for him. And that's where she found out that he was a registered sex offender and had been convicted and done 20 years of prison for raping a child. Uh, needless to say, that was a shock to her. Uh, she filed for an annulment because that was not disclosed to her uh, and the judge granted that annulment. So that's a summary of the law behind getting married. 
Uh, we're going to move in our next episodes to talking about the law involved in getting a divorce, which is a lot more complicated and involves a lot more emotion uh, in, in addition to the law. So thanks for watching today. Make sure you subscribe to the channel for more information. Like, comment below, share me on social media. Thank you very much for watching. You've been watching Lawyer Up. Send lawyers, guns, and money. Dad, get me out of this.